Good evening and welcome to our Bible study and uh, we're going to read from Job chapter 27 starting to read at verse 1. And Job continued his discourse, as surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty, who has made me taste bitterness of soul, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness and my tongue will utter no deceit. I will never admit you are in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my righteousness and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. May my enemies be like the wicked, my adversaries like the unjust. For what hope has the godless when he is cut off? When God takes away his life, does God listen to his cry when distress comes upon him? Will he find delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? I will teach you about the power of God. The ways of the Almighty I will not conceal. You have all seen this yourselves. Why then this meaningless talk? Here is the fate God allots to the wicked. The heritage a ruthless man receives from the Almighty. However, many of his children, their fate is the sword. His offspring will never have enough to eat. The plague will bury those who survive him, and their widows will not weep for them. Though he heaps up silver like dust and clothes like piles of clay, what he lays up, what he lays up, the righteous will wear, and the innocent will divide his silver. The house he builds is like a moth's cocoon, like a hut from a watchman. He lies down wealthy, but will do so no more. When he opens his eyes, he is, all is gone. Terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest snatches him away in the night. The east wind carries him off and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls itself against him without mercy. And as he flees headlong from the power, it claps its hands in derision and hisses him out of this place. Let's just pray before we look at this passage together. Our Father, we thank you again for this, your word. And our Father, we do admit in your presence that we don't always understand these things. But our Father, we pray that you will just teach us that which you would have us learn from what we can read this evening as we gather together around your word. So we ask that you just help us and open our eyes and our hearts as we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we come to chapter 27, and it seems that Job's three friends have run out of things to say. Job is answering Bildad's brief summary, and he has told his friends that they have been no comfort to him, and that he, Job, then goes on and makes this bold statement that God's greatness doesn't diminish the importance of humanity, but God's greatness emphasizes God's love that he has for his children. Now notice how chapter 26 starts with the words, Then Job replied. But when you come to chapter 27 this evening, it starts with, And Job continued his discourse. And Job will continue his discourse, discourse until the end of chapter 31. Now, 
in these words, we can feel the, the grit and the determination from a man whose physical hands are struggling to hold a cup to his mouth and whose legs will buckle under the weight of his emaciated body. But spiritually, it's as if he plants his feet firmly on the gospel and by faith he holds on to the hope that he has in God. God who he knows loves him and who in the end will vindicate him and accept him into his presence. So let's go with this thought and listen to Job as he continues to speak. So verse 1 through to 6, Job clings to the gospel. And Job continued his discourse as surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty, who has made my life bitter. You see, Job knows that God is allowing his suffering. He doesn't understand why, but he knows that he is. Then he goes on, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked, and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit you are in the right till I die. I will not deny my integrity. You see, Job knows that he's innocent. He doesn't understand why it's happening. He's honest enough to say that he doesn't think that what is happening to him is fair. But he goes on in verse 6. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. You see, Job begins with a certainty, as surely as God lives. Then he continues by saying, as long as I live, I will stay faithful. It's not my place to say that you are right, but no matter what happens, I will still trust you because I know that my conscience is clear and that you have the right to take away as much as you have the right to give. Now, this is not Job boasting. It's not a boast. It's more of a note. It's a solemn promise. You could even call this as Job's statement of faith. You know, when I was thinking about this, my thoughts went to the the soldier who joined the war has been captured by the enemy and he's under interrogation. But he shows his allegiance to his country by answering his accusers with his name, his rank and his number. You know, they are words intended to protect his innocence. Their words are stated in the Geneva Convention of 1926. But more important than this, it reminds us of the way that Jesus, the sinless one, submitted totally to the will of his Father as he suffered, and he suffered for the sake of sinners, you and I. And you know, the result being, it wasn't, I want to just share a verse from Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, as we think about this. And this is what we read. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been held down. You see, they are the words of victory and the results of the suffering that Jesus went through, the innocent one, the one who knew no sin, the one who gave his life in order that we might live. 
And also this is the gospel message that carries a warning in Luke chapter 12, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. So let's move on. And in verse 7 through to 8, we move from the promise that Job gave to, to a prayer. And he says in verse 7 through to verse 10, May my enemy, enemy be like the wicked, my adversary like the unjust. For what hope of the godless when they are cut off, when God takes away their life? Does God listen to their cry when distress comes upon them? Will they find delight in the Almighty? Will they call on God at all times? There's a question here. Is Job saying that his friends who are against him are now his enemy? Or is he speaking in general terms about those who are rejecting God? Either way, the lesson for us is that the, with the best of intentions and a sound grasp of scripture, we can, by misreading or misunderstanding a situation, cause upset and bring distress to a fellow believer. In fact, that fellow believer might see us as being like an enemy to him. We bring no comfort. We bring no words uh, uh, that will help relieve his distress. And Job's prayer also reminds us of some of the prayers that David prayed as he called for what appeared to be retribution against his enemies. We don't always say the right things or, or pray the right prayers. And sometimes we can be selfish in the way we speak and in the way we pray. And the bottom line is that we do this in as we see in David's prayer, that it should always be a call for God to be the judge and not us. And this prayer is also a warning to the godless. And Job will continue to speak about the faith of the wicked. Incidentally, in chapter 42, we will see that Job's friends do repent of their actions and both Job and God forgive them. Well, back to chapter 27 and verses 11 through to 12. Job is saying to them, look, you're, you're not teaching me anything, so I'll teach you. And in verse 11, he says, I will teach you about the power of God, the way of the Almighty. I will not conceal. You have all seen for yourselves why then this meaningless talk? Now, rather than to enter into discussion, Job will now assume the role of a teacher. Having heard the things that they have said, he will show them that their words have been wasted on Job simply because they do not apply to him. So, he quite rightly describes their words as being just meaningless talk. Job wants them to question the validity 
of using these words in relation to his suffering. Now, the words might have been, and a lot of them were theologically correct. There was nothing wrong with some of those words that they said. It was just that the application was wrong. They didn't relate in any way to Job's situation. So they were rendered meaningless. And Job will go on now in chapter uh, 27, verse 13 down to 23, where he issues a warning to the godless. And we can break this down into sections of, first of all, verse 13 through to 15, he's speaking about personal loss. And he says, Here is the fate God allots to the wicked, the heritage a ruthless man receives from the Almighty, however many his children. Now, if you think about this and go back to what we've already seen, it appears that Job is referring to something that Zophar said. Zophar said this to Job in Job chapter 20, verse 29. Such is the fate God allots the wicked, the heritage appointed to them by God. And here, Job is agreeing with what Zophar has said, because he's just said in verse 13, in the first part of verse 14, here is the fate that God allots to the wicked. The heritage a ruthless man receives from the Almighty, however many his children. And then Job will continue in the second part of verse 14 through to verse 15. Their fate is the sword. His offspring will will never have enough to eat. The plague will bury those who survive him, and the widows will not weep for them. And then Job goes on in these verses, and really he moves from... Um, what what is really a, a personal loss. And remember, he's been through these things. It comes to verse 16 to 19, where we see a material loss. Though he heaps up silver like dust and clothes like piles of clay, what he lays up, the righteous will wear, and the innocent will divide his silver. The house he builds is like a moth's cocoon, like a hut made by a watchman. He lies down, wealthy, but will do so no more. When he opens his eyes, all is gone. Now, Job here is is speaking about the wicked. He's experienced some of these things, but he's not speaking about himself. He is innocent. He is righteous. And we know that because God has already confirmed it to us at the beginning of the book of Job. Well, this reminds us of the parable that Jesus told, the parable that you'll know very well of the, the wise and foolish builder. The foolish builder built his house and there was no foundation. So when the troubles came, it just was washed away. And this is the fate of the wicked. This is the fate of those who reject God. And then Jesus went on to speak about the man who built his house on the foundation. The foundation is the foundation of what is the gospel, the foundation that God has laid down, the foundation that was fulfilled when Jesus gave his life on the cross. And this is the gospel. It's the same gospel. Although Jesus hasn't died yet, it's still the gospel that Job is standing on. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 26, the chapter of the parable of the wise and foolish builder, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
So Job is referred to what is um, really personal loss, material loss. But now he's going to advance into speaking about spiritual loss. And we read in verse 20 through 23, Terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest snatches him away in the night. The east wind carries him off and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls itself against him without mercy as he flees headlong from its power. It claps its hands in derision and hisses him out of his place. These are poetic words speaking about the fate of one who has rejected the good news. The gospel has rejected God. And you know, it reminds us of one of the Proverbs, Proverbs 23, verse 5. It says, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And if we come into the New Testament, a verse from Matthew, Matthew sixteen twenty six, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for his soul? You know, the books of the Old Testament that are designated as the, the, the witness books, they are Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Job. Now, the book of Job has a lot to say about wisdom. Every chapter is referring to wisdom in one way or another. And the chapters that follow the one that we're looking at this evening, they're known as the wisdom chapters within the wisdom of the book of Job. And this is what Job is saying as he continues his discourse. You know, I just want us to think as we close about this, the, the dictionary definition of wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge and good judgment, the quality of being wise. And to put it another way, the ability to use our knowledge and experience to make good decisions and judgments. And I want us to finish this evening with a passage from 1 Corinthians. As we will continue consider, to consider, that, as we have done already, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of Job's three friends, and the wisdom of Job. Now, in relation to what we've heard this evening, as we've heard that Job has planted his feet on the gospel, and by faith he holds on tight to the hope that he has in God. Well, there's the passage that I want us to close with. It's from 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians 1, and it's verse 18 through to 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. 
Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Father, we just ask that as we come to the close this evening, as we have looked at this chapter and we've seen how Job has reacted, Father, we pray that you will just encourage us, whatever situation we find ourselves in, that we might fit our feet firmly on the gospel and grasp hold of the hope that we have in Christ. And our Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. So with those words again as we finish and for us to consider, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. I think we can all say amen to that.